0: Dark Traveller is a podcast created by incarcerated artists at the William Head Institution in Machosan and Snafu Society of Unexpected Spectacles in collaboration with CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria.
1: Eerous, quiet, tinkling, skidoo's cooling and groaning. Looking through marbles. Inside of a snow globe. Whole sky lighting up. Seafoam green, aqua, topaz, greens, yellows, oranges, red. I feel small in the grand scheme of things. Not far away, not close.
0: You can listen to Canada's first ever inmate-created podcast at cfuv.ca or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: to Notes from the Underground. We're an occasional show on CFUV radio where we talk to people who are not necessarily musicians themselves, but music is an important part of their life. My name is Chris. Today my guest is Jukebox Steven. Here to share his enthusiasm and love of one of the greatest modern inventions in the music world, the jukebox. Settle in for the next hour. Let yourself drift back in time. Get ready to learn about all those knobs Buttons, lights, and bling, and most importantly, of course, the music. We're looking forward to hearing all about jukeboxes. What attracted you to jukeboxes?
0: A childhood sense of comfort and joy, definitely. You know, I've often thought when you look at a Fisher Price activity center, there you've got adult hobbies and pleasures as well, you know, things that move, things you press, things you tug, things that make a noise. My fascination with music as a child was very much part of the record player, especially with 78s, because you can, it's almost fast enough that you can see the tonar move. So anyway, everything about the movement fascinated me. So as a child, these great big jukeboxes, you know, lit up and the sound being so much bigger than you're going to get from a, a record player when you're at home. And and watching the movement, I mean, it's as good as... Remember, uh, when Victoria Uptown used to be called Town and Country, and there was a Woolworths that had an old-fashioned donut-making machine, you know, like on a conveyor belt through the fat, and you just watched the rings fall, and you and, watched them and get flipped. And just the same childhood Fisher-Price Activity Center love of movement. I'm sometimes yeah. surprised I didn't become an engineer or a mechanic because that really blew my mind as a kid. I'm always thinking of that that artist that drew all those things, that one Rube, thing... Rube Goldberg. That's the one. It's kind yeah. of a fascination. Exactly, like that, right? exactly. Yeah. So it started out with wanting to revisit that childhood sense of, of complete comfort and joy See, when I was growing up, most of the jukeboxes around me were made in the 60s. These jukeboxes are from the 50s and 40s. And so when I got one, I suddenly realized, good grief, uh, this sounds so different. And the music of the time now suddenly makes complete sense in the way it didn't. So anyway, it started out as the, the wanting to revisit that childhood nostalgia of color and movement. And it's like being on a fairground, it's like a little Ferris wheel. But then when I got one, and I began to realize, wow, this is time travel. This is uh, the first jukebox I got was in 1952. And when I started putting on classic jazz, or you know, the classic chanteuses, like Rosemary Clooney and yeah. Joe Stafford, I thought, "Good, grief.
2: They never sounded so good They never
0: sounded so good. And then, although some modern pieces sound terrible, the technology loves other modern songs that get completely transformed, like, for example. Blondie's Heart of Glass on a 1952 tube-driven jukebox is so chewy. <laughs> <laughs> Tina, uh, Tina Turner's I Can't Stand the Rain on the 1957 jukebox. Unbelievable. So it, it's interesting that not only are the old, the old classics brought to life, but some pieces that were recorded way past these jukeboxes' lifetimes get utterly transformed. And actually, you know what's great is discovering early rock and roll because a lot of early rock and roll sounds pretty thin on a modern stereo. I remember the first time I heard Buddy Holly, in fact, was on a 33 on someone's record player. And I thought, gee, this is supposed to be the sort of early genius of rock and roll. It it all sounds kind of thin to me. Then when I put a Buddy Holly 78 on the Wurlitzer, like, ah. Punch, punch. Same with Bill, H- uh, Bill Haley in the comments. He's not considered the gutsiest person now in early rock and roll, but his music created riots. Remember, Rock Around the Clock created riots when it was used in The Concrete Jungle, that yeah. movie. Well, I put Rock Around the Clock on the, the 78 Wurlitzer, and it it was ready for a riot. The physical impact, the tubes, it's warmer. There's less trouble. There's way more warmth. The warmth turns into a physical impact, and the physical impact creates an incredible energy.
2: You mentioned that uh, 78s were on the big thick records of yeah. 78s. You're not that old that no, 78s well, were part of your life, right?
0: Well, they were. As a ch- when I was a child, they made 78s until 1959. As a child, my toys tended to be the cast offs of people around me because we, we just moved. And I had a lot of 78s. And I was mentioning before, I loved the fact that they were—they moved so quickly that I could almost see the tone arm in motion. It reminds me of that scene in *Gulliver's Travels* where the mayor of Lilliput says he can see the movement of the minute hand in Gulliver's pocket watch. The movement just fascinated me. Yeah. Until I was well into my teens, the record was a complete mystery to me. The record to me seemed absolutely a mysterious miracle as to how it worked, and I would just. Oh, but stare no, at it, stare at the needle. under the, the thought that, you know, I remember my father saying, now uh, what's happening is that that needle is moving really, really quickly. So quickly you can't see it. It looks like it's still, but it's moving really, really quickly. And that completely freaked me out as well. And one of the things I love about my jukeboxes is um, the Seaburgs, you see the tone arm is right up against the glass. Because
2: we're on radio, I'm really gonna do my best to describe what I'm looking at I'm looking at a beautifully lit up with a soft lighting pillars in greens and pinks. In the middle looks like organ um, pipes. And then there's the display of all the songs that you can select from, or some of them, handwritten, which we'll talk about later, which I love. And in the glass, there's the mechanism that makes the records work. There's a, a line of records lined up on this yellow metal thing that looks like a ringer washing machine apart, <laughs> yes, it, it? yeah it does yeah.
0: It, it's it's got that lost in space robbie the robot yes chunky clunky yes
2: as a background they could have just put a plain background but it's got tiled mirrored tiny little mirrored tile things right yes and and now i'm going to let steven tell you more a professional look at it and by the way it's a Seeburg Selectomatic 100, In
0: 1952. Yes, Seeburg was the company that came up uh, with a hundred selections on one jukebox. The glory days of the 78s—you only had 24 songs. The Seeburg brought out a jukebox that could play a hundred songs, and that really changed the industry very quickly. And the thing I love about the Seeburg is the turntable. Most turntables are flat. They are horizontal. You'll see the Seberg turntable is vertical. And why? Well, the record floats. This means that gravity doesn't come into it with most turntables the tur- you know that the weight of the tone arm and you have to go to great lengths to for equilibrium against the weight of the yep. tone arm here the record is floating a little spring action keeps the tone arm just poised lightly against it so there's no gravity. there's less wear on the record and from for someone who loves to watch the records and to watch the needle in the record, See, this brings the turntable right up to eye level and you can see the needle Fascinating. floating and, and, you know, that's and, just so much
2: fun. And Stevens opened up this, by the way, that was that noise you heard, and we're looking right into the mechanism and the vertical turntable. You call the turntable?
0: Yes. Yeah. You also see, at the top here, is a mechanism that keeps track of how many times every song was played. I mean, this was, jukeboxes were big business. Right. They kept the music business informed on who's playing what. Well, they really, well, they kept the places going themselves. You know, in in the early days, radio was the big marketing strategy miracle. People were buying radios. They weren't interested in buying record players, which meant you had to buy the records as well. Record players didn't become an everyday, an every household item until the 50s and 60s. Not only kept people in tune with what music was coming out, especially if you were a black musician, because you weren't going to get on the radio. So jukeboxes were especially how black music got disseminated. It also was super important to the, the bar or the drugstore that had them. In fact, speakeasies, one of the reasons why jukeboxes became so prevalent, we all know that prohibition created an explosion of speakeasies. Not every speakeasy was large enough or wealthy enough to have live entertainment. So jukeboxes became really important during the Prohibition times. You liked jazz, right? Yes. Let's very have much. some Sarah Vaughan okay. as an example of what we were talking about, where with these old mixes, where the voice is supposed to be very prevalent, unlike the rock and roll yeah. ethos, where the voice becomes another instrument. And her voice, you'll see, you'll feel it. It, it sort of materializes three feet in front of the speaker. There we go. Now when her voice comes in, it'll seem to be right out here. Produced to sound good on jukeboxes right and and many singers i feel i only hear how their voice actually sounds when i get the you know the tube driven old technology I yeah wow
2: it did I, I really to i'm trying to, i'm imagining like you said about the speakeasies
1: and it's, if you close your eyes she's there yeah yes you know yeah but and people uh
0: you know the, We of the rock and roll generation, we grew up at a time when you needed a new record player frequently. I mean, uh, the record player that was good enough for Beatlemania was not good enough for Abbey Road. But with the jukeboxes for decades, like all the 78 jukeboxes, for decades the innards never really changed. They kept redesigning the box, new lights, better lights. But the inside of the box didn't change much, which meant that any 78s from the 20s till when they stopped making 78s in 1959 were all designed to sound good on the same system. And so, that's one of the glories of jukebox collecting, is that entire swaths of Musical, cultural, history were all designed to sound at their best on this machine. Yeah. Wow. So, for example, we've done some jazz. Now, let me show you something else. We'll, We'll give you some Everly Brothers. Despite the difference in style, you'll find the richness, you'll find the physical impact the energy that comes from the warmth, and the way the voices seem to project into the room. So even though it's manoral sound, the voices are stereoscopically right in front of you. But still, still for rock and roll, yeah, which yeah. tended to mix the voices back. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, I'll never forget the first time I put on a, vo- uh, a record that had this sort of mix where the voices really front and center. Put on a recording like that on the jukebox, and that incredible sense of the voice being in the room with me. Yes. Because, of course, all these records were meant to sound good on tubes. If you play it on solid state, it's not the same sound, yeah. no matter how good your stereo is.
2: I'm, I'm curious how it's going to sound on the other end on the radio, coming out yeah. the other end. Yeah. yeah, because I wish everybody could be standing right here listening to this. It's so rich. Do you want to try another, look at another sure. jukebox? Yes. We're going to walk over to... Okay, we were looking... We were looking at a Seaburg, which is, uh, right? Yes. And now we're going go to, to the, the Wurlitzer. Wurlitzer? Yes. Okay, everybody has heard the name Wurlitzer, right?
0: Yes, both both Seberg and Wurlitzer were both interested initially in... Um, Mechanics, so they were interested in pipe organs and automats, anything with coin selection. So the jukebox, jukeboxes arose more out of their fascination for mechanisms rather than uh, an interest in music. Interesting. Now I think the Everly Brothers are about to Oh, get that's over. okay. There, there they are. They're saying their <laughs> goodbye. Amazing, amazing.
2: I I just find it a privilege to be able to walk from one work-of-art jukebox to another one.
0: Well, I feel like I've I've got a cellar of fantastic wine, and anyone who comes in, I can say, hey, try this. 1937 was the first time that somebody found a way to start lighting up jukeboxes by using plastics. Before then, jukeboxes looked like great big radio cabinets. And then, but 1937, somebody started illuminating plastic, well actually it was Seberg, and then there was an explosion! I mean, people used cellophane, acrylic, Polaroid film. During the war years, when plastic was needed for the war effort, they did incredible things with glass. So this Wurlitzer is uh, 1940, the war's begun, you see the use of glass in some of the long lights. The reason why i chose this wurlitzer it's not as flashy as some of the others but this one to me which has a look almost like an old-fashioned art deco radio city music hall theater very and the curtains sure. about to open because you know right. it's very art deco isn't good description it? this looked like a jukebox that i could play anything on i could play opera jazz blues country the 50s crooners, rock and roll, yeah. I could play anything and it would work. Some of the beautiful Wurlitzers that just, you know, light up like an entire city block, they had that a sort of Las Vegas celebratory feel where I don't know if I'd, you know, do what I want to play, Art Tatum on this, right. or this. Caruso, anyways, this was it's so... It's very stately looking. It, yeah, it's, oh, it's... stately, that's nice, it, and also it's, it's more modest than, than most of the other yeah. Wurlitzers, <laughs> which were bigger and flashier, but this to me seemed intimate.
2: It's got a a flat turntable, this one.
0: This one, yes. The Wurlitzers all had the horizontal turntable. And as you'll see, what happens is when you select a record... Now you see, you look in and it looks like a a pile of pie plates. Uh, Those of you who've seen pictures of these old Wurlitzers 78 jukeboxes and wondered, "What, what is that? Those are the records, each in their own little shell with their own supporting table to stabilize them.
2: There was a little swivel, and you swiveled out. And you see, you you place it
0: on this little table, again, to stabilize it. Then, when you make a choice from this, what looks like a pile of pie plates, your selected number will swing out. The turntable will rise up like something, like 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 the Rite of Frankenstein. The turntable (laughs) will rise up. Now, something interesting about the stylus. Wurlitzer never made diamond needles. So, first, this is sapphire. And a 78 stylus is round, it's a sphere. The stylus is for, or I should say styli, for 45s and 33s were more like a cone, which is part of the reasons why the the grooves could be narrower. Those of you who are into science and physics and metals, think of the difference of vibrations passing through a diamond-tipped cone and a sapphire sphere. Very different. And that's part of the sound. Does one last longer than the other? Oh, or? the diamond lasts much longer. Right? Yes, replacing the needles. My, my jukebox guru, Jukebox Jerry in White Rock, he can just reach in and change the needle, boom, 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 like that. I have to take it apart and sweat bullets. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, the Sebergs, the needles are easy to change. These jukeboxes must be built incredibly strong. Thank too. heavens, because I have... No handyman skills at all. Most yes. people who get into jukeboxes, part of the reason they get into it is they love to tinker with them. You're not a tinkerer. But no, 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 I'm all thumbs, though. I've, I've learned to do a, a, a certain amount of, of basic stuff with the jukeboxes. But see, normally they were, they were used all the time and somebody would come around about it once every 10 days. You know, people on the road like, remember the yo-yo demonstrators? There'd yep. be jukebox people on the road continually servicing them. Luckily, they're built to last because uh, if something goes wrong with them, I've got to get the guy over from White Rock, and that isn't easy. <laughs> but also, in its day,
2: especially the rock and roll ones, I would say they probably took a lot of abuse with people pounding them, bumping into them,
0: well, things as, like that. As so as they had me, to... I, I, was manip- I was moving the kitchen one around, and it was as it was playing. They are built like tanks.
2: I was impressed by that because nothing skipped. Explain to the listeners why you had to pull it out.
0: Oh, yes. Well, all the controls to control the record selection or just to eject the record or to change the volume, all of those controls are in the back of the box because if you were running, say, a soda counter, you didn't want your customers deciding how loud things were going to be or mucking around with the box. So you've got to swing the box out to get to the controls. Let me play you a voice that you will have heard a zillion times, but when you hear it through tubes you'll hear what it's supposed to sound like. I won't tell you who it is. She's the Mona Lisa of jazz. If I
1: call three times a day. See how different she sounds, sounds. to her, drive She sounds
0: so... Real? The astringency of her voice is yeah. balanced by a blue. When you hear her over modern stereos often you get the astringency without the blue. Okay but I, what I notice is
2: often when I'm listening to her music like in the headsets it's a little bit flat. Here it's it's more... Um, it's, it's fuller. I,
0: I, it's you know, it's
1: terrible
2: with
0: some of these old recordings and the way they've been, This various attempts at remastering them, sometimes the pitch is altered in strange ways. I'm reminded that when Paul McCartney first heard the test pressing of Revolver, he was horrified, because he thought everything sounds out of tune, which is how that record used to strike me as well. But it was because of all the processing of the voices. Yeah,
2: they kind of... Overproduced it or something? Maybe. Well, it's high. You know, yeah,
0: from this page. point of view, I wouldn't want—I wouldn't want Revolver changed. Right. But yeah, uh, nothing great comes without a curse. Yeah. So you know, if you're going to have fantastic manipulation of the voices, yeah. you're going to lose something else. Yeah.
2: But you know what? I—I like. Okay, well, not just what I like, but this jukebox suits Billy Holiday more than the other one does. Well, yeah. the look of it. I know, because yeah. it, it is. you can transport yourself into her time by just looking
0: at this yes. and listening. Well, this Rolitzer is in 1940, and yeah, the music of that time, there is, well, the time travel is part of the joy of the jukebox. Yes
2: for me jukebox says nostalgia
0: and isn't it interesting that although we tend to think of nostalgia as the yearning of a simpler time what it usually means is we're just yearning for an earlier version of modern technology
1: yep
0: yep, <laughs> yep. analog <laughs> is digital I'm oh, sorry analog is nostalgia now but it was top of the line yeah I'm an analog guy still oh well yeah. I like it all yeah um, I've I've heard digital remasterings that I thought were a hundred percent just fantastic. Yeah. But you've got to be careful. Someone's got to take the time and care yeah. to go from analog to digital. But I saw as you can see from the I've got lots of digital stuff. Yes. That, wow. Okay,
1: it's just,
0: this is so good what you're telling me. Something that's interesting is uh, the way that technologies which we now think of as being part of different generations the way they were battling out for example i think of the player piano and the record player as from two different times but turn of the century they were battling it out for the consumer dollar and the player piano was winning really yeah I mean remember the phonograph has been around for quite some time the first phone the first coin operated phonograph which simply was you dropped in the coin and, and, the, and the cylinder would play the only tune it could play, right. not, not a jukebox. But there was a coin-operated record player in San Francisco in 1889. But record players did not really start to become house, everyday household items till the 50s and 60s. They weren't rare in the 30s and 40s, but the radio had taken over. But anyway, to think of radio, player piano, and record player battling it out for the consumer dollar... Something else that's interesting, another way that jukeboxes conflate prices. If you've watched old movies, you all know that a cup of coffee was a nickel, and so was a tune on the jukebox. It's interesting to think that once upon a time, those two things, which we would now not think of as being equal no. in terms of value. Another reason why jukeboxes were so big is that everybody could contribute a penny. You know, five kids who had a penny could get a song on the jukebox compared to what it would cost to have a record player with records in your home. What fun! Oh, I loved all the stories of you know the uh, Ella Fitzgerald who was you know a street kid, and she she would save her nickels to play Connie Boswell and the Boswell sisters. An an interesting example of jazz pioneers being white back in the thirties. That's one of the rare examples. Of course, as we know, there were some big spider back that there were, but Connie Boswell, who was the biggest influence on Ella Fitzgerald, which means what was her influence in the jazz world? I think the Boswell sisters, they created vocal jazz. Anybody who's ever watched those old, you know, merry melodies cartoons with all those kind of vocal trios under the water whatever, it all goes back to the Boswell sisters. They could each play multiple instruments. They could play classical chamber music as well as jazz. I mean, these people were just, oh, and a great story. Uh, In the early days of microphones, people just figured, well, I, I sing at the top of my lungs into the microphone as if I was trying to project to the back of the hall. And this is, how, this is one of the reasons why a lot of early recordings are a bit, because uh, everybody's hollering. The Boswell sisters had a recording gig and one of them had a terrible cold. You did not cancel a gig in those days. So what they did is they threw a p- blanket over the piano to deaden the sound. And because they were such great musicians, they were able to, they all just transposed their parts down. And instead of singing loud, they yeah. just sort of singing loud. They began to Happy croon, accident. lower in yeah. their voice. And then when they heard the playback, they said, holy smokes, this is it. Now, there's some disagreement about who first discovered how to really use a microphone but the Boswell sisters are definitely a little bit like that when
2: you when you see movies when movies were getting more popular they were acted like to me like stage plays they were overacted and things like that and then it got into more realistic interpretations of (laughs) life
0: this is why, you know, when we were young, when opera singers tried to do pop songs, it sounded ridiculous because they would just sort of oh, do the yes. big opera production. Now, we we have a whole generation of opera singers who do pop records and know how to change their vocal production to yep. fit. Uh, anyway, so the Boswell sisters, their backup group, although they could all play instruments themselves so well, they had a backup group on stage, five Alcoholics so notorious, they were <laughs> known as the Falling Down Five. Let Yourself Go okay. by the Boswell Sisters, patron saints of vocal jazz. Here comes that little
2: pie plate, up goes the LP, and here come the Boswells.
1: I'm
0: thinking of every Merry Melodies cartoon oh, yeah. you ever saw. <laughs>
1: It's so true what you
2: say, because I remember the Mary Melodies cartoon.
1: It's almost like they just
2: picked a song and made a cartoon around it. Yeah. And again, this is playing on the Wurlitzer. 1940 Wurlitzer.
0: 19, uh, Tempo change, the Boswell sisters' specialty. <laughs> Connie! Think of little Ella Fitzgerald saving her pennies so she can play this record on the jukebox. Yeah. And she's thinking, I want to sing like that. And she did. And she, it's, you can hear the influence, can
1: you? totally can
0: hear it. On yeah. the Young Elephant's turn. Yeah.
1: It's funny how voices, too. I, I would never pick
2: these as white voices. But I guess I if I just heard it, I would think these are
0: black performers.
2: Do you agree or no? Well, I've, I've known
0: the Boswell sisters sister for yeah. so long, but it is always interesting. Well, when Tom Jones' Green Grass of Love came out when I was young, I assumed he was a uh, a gentleman of uh, marvelous complexion. Yes.
1: You sort of hear about Cap Calloway. Oh, well, he, yes. Yeah. She was a huge influence. Okay, here we go. Oh, change. Yeah. Now. I can see this on stage too. Oh yeah. You know,
2: you can really see the move their hands and dancing. And...
0: Well, yeah, if, you've seen, if you've seen the move at uh, Triplets of Belleville, the opening music is a great tribute to the Possible okay. Sisters, I think. That's nice.
2: Very catchy.
1: Did you know... CFUV welcomes local and touring musicians into our studios. Every Friday. Every Friday. On Basement Closet Sessions. Want to hear the Raw Cat? We have archived our live performances on our
0: Bandcamp page
1: at cfuv.bandcamp.com. Hear bands you love, artists you never heard of, artists you never heard of, and your next musical crash. Visit cfuv.ca for more info.
2: You are tuned in to CFUV 101.9 FM radio. The show that's on now is Notes from the Underground. Let's get back to my conversation with Jukebox Stephen.
0: Although I, I am an Andrew Sisters fan, the Dinning Sisters had this ravishing sound, and the two sopranos were twins. Now, one of the reasons we listen to sister groups or brother groups is there is a certain uncanny communication between the voices when siblings sing. When two of the siblings are twins, a lot of the sister acts did not depend on a ravishing sound. Like the Boswell sisters, I mean, they're swinging, they're strutting, but you, you don't come away thinking, wow, what gorgeous voices. And you don't feel that with the Andrew sisters. I'm using gorgeous in a sort of limited sense, and I guess sort of lush, pretty, yummy, surface yumminess. The Dinning sisters gave you wonderful surface yumminess, as well as nifty arrangements. And well, here, this is Aunt Hagar's blues, the twins Jean and Ginger, and big sister Lou on alto.
1: They can slip, you've got
0: what's given the way of living. So smooth. I think no it's so sexy, so purring, yeah. and yet they were such good church girls. <laughs>
2: When I hear this, I also, in my imagination, can see them traveling on a bus from dance hall to dance hall through Eastern Canada.
0: How anybody survived Northern that United lifestyle? States. I just can't yeah. believe. yeah, the crew all oh. I
2: saw I saw a, a brochure from Burlington, Ontario. They had this dance hall and they had Ella Fitzgerald Andrew's sisters, all these people. and it was of the time, I guess where they they just did the circuit.
1: The stuff with, uh, this, yeah. It's wonderful. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's like the enjoy
2: size jukebox
0: <laughs> yeah I, I always get a kick when I think of uh, you know you compare the iPod which weighs yeah. nothing you know the size of a postage stamp to one of these things now you love jazz piano right I do okay so that uh, Oscar Peterson he's 20 years old 1945 this is the B side of his first ever record The a side was I got rhythm B side was shake of Araby and fasten your seat belts. Of a Beethoven's thirtieth uh, piano sonata, where the trills go crazy. So... Is that a 33 and a third or something? No, it's a 78. That
2: that was a 78. It looks in such nice shape.
0: This, I actually inherited this from my uncle Hugh, Mm. and it was super cool because I did not realize what a tasty thing it was when I first got it. I I thought, oh, hey, Oscar Peterson, and I played it and thought, oh, I love this. It was much later that I learned that it was his first ever uh, recorded release. CFUV 101.9 FM is Victorious Campus and Community Radio Station,
1: and we love supporting our community. If you're a nonprofit organization with an upcoming event, let us know so we can announce your event on air. Email the details to psa at cfuv.ca at least two weeks in advance, and we'll let the community know about it. For more information, visit our website, cfuv.ca. It doesn't
2: matter if you are just waking up or crawling home from the best damn Thursday night of your life, Blues in the Morning has enough zombie, voodoo, gris gree to last you through the whole weekend. Join Jim for two hours of Blues in all its forms, Friday between 9 and 11am, with a special emphasis on Canadian music. And remember, support live music. <laughs>
0: One of the things I like to use the Wurlitzer for, especially on Remembrance Day, because a lot of military uh, people in my family play things like Lily Marlaine or uh, George Formby, the, the old stuff from the 20s, my uncle's 78s. It's a nice way of sort of honouring departed members of the family to play their favourite music on the Wurlitzer. It's yeah. almost like um, a memorial service with no grief. You're also playing the music they love and you're Hearing it the way they heard it.
2: Yeah, and you're taking them back into the moment. Yes,
0: and I'm taking myself back. Yeah, and it, all the more so at night because you can't imagine what these things look like at night. That the, the glow be beautiful, is beautiful. Right? Yes, especially because it's all technology we don't have anymore. These are all various kinds of bulbs and filters and color plates that we don't have now. So it's like looking at an old book. If you've ever, you know, had the experience of taking an antique book and opening it up. And all the colors of the plates amaze you, because those aren't dyes we have anymore. It reminds me of the movies. The uh, chemical makeup of the stock in the old black and white days created that, that glow, uh, which now movie directors knock themselves out trying to recapture. But how, how can you recapture a chemistry which is no longer with us? Similar with the, the tubes here. And, of course, the tubes are just part of it. With the sound, the whole technology we don't have anymore. So the music, it sounds so wonderfully, magically different. Sometimes awful. I mean, I've had my experiences. Like, for example, nineteen seventies Pink Floyd doesn't tend to sound too good on the Seeburg jukeboxes. Which ones don't sound good? Well, it's it's it's, it's, why sometimes it's it's the bass. And it isn't necessarily a modern song. I have an old Toussaint McCall song, and just the production of the bass overloads the speakers. Jimi Hendrix 45s, the bass overloads the speakers. I've got uh, an old Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong duet. Not rock and roll at all, but the bass overloads the speakers. Some mixes just come across as too thick. If there's any fans of the move, playing a song like Brontosaurus, on a Seeburg uh, jukebox is like being in between dueling cement mixers. But it's trial and error. What's amazing, though, is how many songs, how many modern songs, sound unbelievable. Okay, uh, now we're moving to we're, another jukebox. Yeah, this, this is, is the Seberg. trilogy here. This is the 57 Seeburg. Uh, this is the the best all rounder. The sound is. The crispest, has the most treble, and it was made in Detroit, and you can see the taillights. It, yes, it, it's, they look it's like fins of a
2: 1958 car That's but what, Yes. I want to just describe what you're doing here. You look like you're in a establishment looking for a song to play. You look really <laughs> like you should.
0: It's the rotating drum, yes. yes. The, uh, the This is a 200 selection jukebox, so you can't have 200 songs on the front glass. It would take up all the room. So they created this rotating drum with you, you get the extra little pictures, uh, classics and varieties, hit tunes, yeah. What well, what I find uh, sad and funny is that Rhythm and Blues is two, two very white children doing a yeah, Like yeah. together. <laughs> all the songs aren't like that by the performers. I'm looking for the one I'm, I want to play for you, you know, the modern song that sounds so good. He's clicking a selection and then the,
2: the, it rotates and all new songs come up. Very nice. Okay, Here we go.
0: here's a song from the 70s. Sort of uh, 20 years older than this jukebox, and yet this jukebox gives the definitive presentation. I'd say the quality of the bass.
2: The sweet spot is down there. Even coming down here, right? yeah.
1: USA plucked her eyebrows on the way, shaved her legs, and then he was
0: a she, she says he babe, See, how much more? Take a welcome to the wild side. Wow, yeah. Said, hey, honey. How much more Take emotionally a emotionally the engaged side. There's the irony, there's the ironic detachment, but there's also the level of emotional engagement at the same time. The
2: sound of these voice through the tubes brings that up. And it came from out the on
0: the island. I it would be so different. In the back room
2: she was everybody's darling. The novelty machine. But, but she never I lost a
0: head. No idea. Even when I, she I was given head, she says, hey babe. Take a
1: said, I the 1960s, too.
0: Bye-bye. Take a walk on the wild side. Yes, I wasn't the this either. Go. But when I did <laughs> discover it, my tiny mind was
1: blown
2: forever. It's also funny how sound memory comes back. Because the more you play this, the more I remember how it sounded which is kind of a strange concept in a way.
0: Well, you know, the human memory, we know that it's very involved with Joe, sound and, and music and away. the olfactory with smells. Yes. Everybody it's funny, you know, we're so pay visually pay. centered, but in fact, with our memory, it's hustle here music and, hustle and smell here.
2: Yeah. New York City is the place where they said, hey, babe, well, take a walk on the wild side. All
0: right,
2: gonna... I said, hey, Joe, take a walk on
0: I'm the wild side. I give you another side. example. Mm. How about, in honor of the recently deceased Robbie Robertson, there, all right. cleans things up the jukebox sort of dirties it up. It's clean in a way but dirty. It's like, like a dirty martini. Yeah
2: but it's also like you're at a live performance. I'm right there with the band in the, you know, in some hall where they're playing music.
0: Yeah isn't it strange because I mean modern stereos are fantastic. The fidelity, the power and yet somehow Mm, I don't know it's that that energy, the warmth, the yep. physical impact and I do love having a jukebox in the kitchen. I've had one in the kitchen or at least in the kitchen door for decades now and I find cooking and washing the dishes and anything like that is entirely different with a jukebox. It's like having a conversation. They're more like pets or companions than machines and it's very different than, say, putting on an oldies radio channel. It's a very Marshall McLuhan thing, you know, the medium is the message. I will go to great lengths to find a song for the jukebox that I would have no interest in hearing on the radio. But because it's gonna be on the jukebox, it becomes so important you, to me. you
2: can kind of imagine the song on the jukebox before
0: you hear it on the jukebox? Well, I've, I'm experienced enough now that I've got a pretty good idea of what songs will work especially well. Although I, sometimes you can never tell, you know, the bass production, you, it's still sometimes a surprise. Some disco songs sound fantastic on this, and some are, uh, the bass is impossible, and, and they're recordings from the same year, but just slight differences in the production techniques yeah. can make a big difference. I
2: often hear you coming back to the bass too. That makes the
0: difference quite a bit. Aside from the glories of bass and hearing bass on tubes where you, know, you, you feel you can hear the string all the way around. But the bass, uh, as, as people who know anything about acoustics uh, will, will know, a lot of the upper frequencies are contained in, in the bass. And this, these machines don't have a lot of treble, so a lot of the upper frequencies are actually kind of coming ghosting up from the overtones and resonances of, of, of the bass. Anyone who writes music is going to be really, really interested in the bass line. Uh, yeah. I remember the, uh, the great classical music teacher uh, Nadia Boulanger, when if she had, for example, if one of her students was playing a violin concerto, she would insist that student be able to sing or whistle the bass line as he or she played. Her feeling was as soon as you know the bass line, the rest, everything else is going to fall into place and I would think that many rock musicians and jazz musicians would agree with her. Maybe not Prince who wanted to get rid of the bass line to give more sound to the other instruments but mostly, well the Cramps are another example of a Mm -hmm. good group that had no bass. They had the great walloping bass drum from nick knox which helped but of course the cramps whole point was get rid of the bass so you've got all that crunchy static electric guitar you know their electric guitars sometimes sound like 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 10 jiffy pops going off at the same time (laughs) so much chrome
2: hey you know what i gotta tell you something when i was sitting here listening to that song i'm looking at the the lit up display yes As you look at it from the top, it's diamonds, connecting diamonds. And as you go down, just because of the angle, it
0: looks more like sort of ovals. That's the three-dimensional, it's the cut. So so the different angle of the light suggests a different shape.
2: You never tire of it. And then it's reflected on these three protuberances that look like tail fins of cars from the 50s. Yes. Or, yeah, mid-50s, I guess. It's... Hypnotizing.
0: Oh, I, I find it hypnotizing. And, I mean, the and, whole again, machine what is. It's like at night?
2: What did jukebox music offer to the listener that modern music listening habits don't offer?
0: Well, one of the things is that uh, jukeboxes were public; that they, they were for for public enjoyment, in the same way that movies were for public enjoyment. And in our current technological world. You can have an incredible entertainment center at home and people don't go out as much. I'm one of those. I stay at home and yet at the same time I think of how much more vital it was to experience things in, in a group. I mean, I remember seeing movies in the movie theater and how much more empathy and catharsis there was to have it in a group. So the jukebox, it summons up the... Uh, the, the, the public meetings, and so many different public meetings, because it could be everything from a high school gym, and a drugstore soda counter, to a bar, or a speakeasy, or a casino. The jukebox brings all these different venues together, and all the different people. You know, from the Bobby Soxer, to the Femme Fatale, and her, her boa, and Silver Lame, you know, the, all of them around the jukebox. So, the Staple Singers... And, you know, apparently this group started with pop staples sitting on the floor and the kids are sitting on the floor and they're just Harmonizing and Mavis turned out. To, I mean, how how do these people have such extraordinary voices? They just come out of nowhere uh, when Mavis she takes the solo and she's only 16 at the time of this recording
2: If you're a little kid, you're watching through the window the pie plate spinning up comes the turntable part Here goes a needle
1: Oh baby tell me Tell me Love of a home Where no stone Climb
0: these people who sing so incredibly well when they're still basically children, they don't, not only singing well, but singing with such depth and understanding. It reminds me of how in Shakespeare's day, you know, all the, the leading ladies' parts were played by little boys. You know, Lady Macbeth was played by a prepubescent boy. And somehow these kids had to figure out these enormous adult emotions and portray them. And, The Judy Garlands of the world, the Mavis Staples, the Little Esters, the Rachel Sweets.
2: And don't forget, there's Brenda Lee.
0: All right. Whereas someone like Mavis or, you know, she's basically a child, but she sounds like she's past womanhood already.
2: And with the emotions for a young person like that, these people were immersed in gospel music, right?
0: And that's pretty heavy That certain stuff
2: for a young person.
0: Definitely. But at the same time, for her to be able to sing and, I mean... We've all been through whole lots of difficulty, and yet when we sing, very few of us are able to put that experience into our voice. When you're in your mid-teens, and you can sound like you are a soul at the edge of eternity, that's
2: Stephen, thank you so much for introducing me, and hopefully everybody else, to this wonderful part of music in our
0: world, the jukebox. Uh, it was a great pleasure for me
2: thanks for listening notes from the underground an occasional show right here on CFUV 101.9
1: FM catch us if you can